0: Welcome to On The Way, a podcast to help you make a meaningful connection with Jesus every day in the midst of your day-to-day. On this week's episode, Hi and Alex reflect on tackling the issue of shame and how Jesus helps us rise out of it as part of a fall launch here at Chatham Community Church, share what they've been learning in this process, and share also some of the resources that have been helpful for them in their own personal journeys in rising out of shame. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the On The Way podcast. My name is Jaime, and I'm a pastor at Chatham Community Church, and with me is...
1: I'm Alex, and I'm one of the pastors at Chatham Community Church as well. It's been a while. It's glad to be back here on the podcast. Good yeah. times.
0: Yeah, yeah. Glad to have you uh, here listening with us, and glad to be able to be with Alex as we sort of take another stab at podcasting here in the fall of 2019.
1: That's right. We're glad to kind of reboot this, and thanks for joining us and uh, coming along for the ride.
0: In the fall here at Chatham Community Church, we decided to tackle an issue that is um, common in pop culture. It's getting talked about a lot now, but um, it felt like a, a, a loaded issue to talk about as we headed into the fall. And that was the subject. Why do you think it was important for us to talk about shame uh, as we started this sort of fall season?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think my the, – the the feeling that like shame – uh, and guilt are these things that sort of inhibit people's, uh, pe- people's sort of following of Jesus, um, displaying his image, being a part of his mission, the, 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 the and the ways that, in and, and, and all kinds of conversations and all kinds of situations, uh, where shame is, uh, at play, even in the background. So, I mean, I think almost every, um, you know, have, have, I have conversations with people who are in difficult marriage situations or, and, and if there is like, if there is like a layer of, um, of addiction which are often with not all the time but regularly have been issues of addiction that have been a part of often marital challenges shame was almost always stewed into that somewhere right because part of it part of the addiction cycle is i i, I do something that i feel bad about and mm-hmm. and and the ways that that the ways that, that i feel bad about me um feed into their uh, a, a husband or wife's inability to sort of then connect with the spouse even if they really want to um uh has been really striking to me as a, as a pattern over the years, and so I think obviously that's an extreme example of someone's marriage and crisis and addiction being part of that. But sort of, it's one of the ways I see shame uh, uh, shaping people's lives, relationships, and affecting things that are pretty, I think, holy. You know, that that have potential to bear fruit to be rich places of life, and instead, um, it kind of chokes out that uh, that the the potential for that. So I feel like um, seeing people kind of come alive and. and I think that, you know, the. Uh, there's a great quote by Irenaeus, right? The glory of God is man or woman fully alive. There's mm-hmm. a way where sort of, there's a way where the glory of God is saying having people who, who are made in God's image actually bear that image, actually demonstrate that image, actually live into that, that the fullness of that as best they possibly can. And they recognize, man, sort of shame and guilt, just, just clutter that, just make that impossible, really. And yeah. so the, uh, the, the invitation to walk in the freedom of that, I feel like is so powerful. And it's so powerful to start to look at that. Look at Jesus' life through mm-hmm. how, how how little how, how he doesn't trade in those in, in that space when so many other religious leaders do it so easy to do that in religion religious circles. So that was compelling for me in, in the conversations. But Jaime, you're excited about it too. What were the things that were compelling about it for you going into the the series?
0: Yeah, it, there were a number of things that were compelling for me. I've, I've been sort of swimming in this in this water of of shame, having been part of the. The cultural conversation or the social conversation in the past few years. I've been reading up on it, um, and so I was, I was, I was convinced by the arguments that some social scientists and sociologists and psychologists have been making uh, as to why it is a conversation that we can't keep postponing as a as a society. Yeah, and uh, and so I, I felt like if we are going to take a, a stab at it, uh, I wanted to go. I wanted to go all out. I wanted to do it. In the season where we are expecting the greatest number of people, uh, which is our fall launch normally, we expect sort of an influx of consistent attenders, and you know we, we advertise for it. Uh, also because uh, I felt like we had an opportunity to not just talk about shame, but to actually frame the conversation around the positive invitation, uh, not just... Talking about shame, I mean, so we intentionally didn't name the series "Shame." I mean, part of that was was marketing. <laughs> marketing <laughs> played played a role in that. Uh, the images around shame are not like the the, the visuals, the graphics that we uh, could have come up wouldn't have been uh, very appealing. Yeah. Um, but but it's this idea that that shame is not an end in itself in in the conversation, but actually rising out of shame is is the good news, right? We when we talk about we are able to talk about shame. In in the context of the church, in the context of the gospel, in the context of God, we we, we shame, isn't mm-hmm. shame isn't a dead end. Shame isn't a dead end. It's actually it's actually an opportunity then to rise and and um, and like you, I have conversations with people. Uh, I've experienced it myself. How shame can be such a paralyzing agent in our lives. Uh, how it can feel so much like a dead end, how it can feel so much like a normal. Like mm-hmm. there's a normalization of shame. And oftentimes it's oftentimes it's that it's not recognized. You, know, you don't realize that shame is playing a role in your life. But sometimes it's just you don't have an answer for it. Mm-hmm. You don't know what to do with it. And so you just internalize that it's normal, that this is the way it's supposed to be. And I said this a few times in my sermon that, we weren't made for shame. Mm-hmm. We weren't made to live in shame. Shame was never intended to be normal. And so the opportunity, not just to talk about something that's out there, which in my experience, it's always a good thing. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be led by the by the culture or by what's popular, mm-hmm. but sometimes when something bubbles up in the culture, when something bubbles up in society, and people are clearly flocking to it because they feel it, it addresses a need that they have, I think sometimes what that causes me to do is to look internally, look at us as a church and say, did we just drop the ball? Yeah. Did we right. lead people to believe that God had nothing to say about this? Right. Did we leave people without an answer? And so I, I wanted to take the opportunity to say, hey – Not only can we talk about shame, but we actually have solutions for this. We have tools to help people rise out of shame. And so I was super excited when we decided to go for this. And especially for the fact that we decided to actually spend a significant amount of time looking at different aspects of it. Because as we started to talk about shame, we realized, wow, this is a really nuanced subject. There's a lot. I remember one day... We, we threw up uh, on the whiteboard uh, uh, sort of a word cloud
1: oh, yeah. oh,
0: around yeah. shame and we realized, wow, we could talk about this for months, for months. And so even though we're going to spend eight weeks on it, like that, that's both robust, but it's also we, – we put some boundaries around it because mm-hmm. we realized we, we couldn't tackle everything. Mm-hmm. But then we also – I feel we're not selling it short, which yeah. I think is a good thing.
1: You know, one of the things you talk about was sort of the larger cultural conversation. And, I, I, you know, I've, I've read a number of sort of books or articles sort of identifying how Western culture has shifted from a guilt-righteousness kind of or guilt-innocence kind of paradigm, which is loosely based on sort of biblical words, to shame-fame culture. Mm-hmm. So shame-fame, like sort of particularly think about social media and kind of YouTube, like how people's worst mistakes or uh, or basically everyone wants to be famous, right? There's a uh, you know, meeting at Woods Charter, media at school. There's a um, – there's a, a the teachers that all have, they all kind of have cutesy, uh, sort of posters up and around their classrooms or whatever else at their door. And, and one woman, one teacher has a thing, has a thing on her door. That thing pretty much captures the, the, the goal of, a, of an entire generation. I'll be famous one day, right? That's on her door. That's kind of her, it's kind of her, you're going to be famous one day like everybody else. Well, everybody can't be famous, right? So what do you do? What do you do? Uh, in a world where everyone's goal is to be fam- a famous YouTuber, right, which mm-hmm. is like a t- which is a top goal for you know Gen Z particularly, yeah. um, and what happens when uh, when uh, actually social media is a tool of shaming other people, you know, silencing people, and uh, uh, bullying, and, and some of these other things that or or that that feeling of just being kind of left out or ostracized or whatever. There's a way where that the whole kind of culture has shifted around sort of the shame fame conversation. Uh, with what's valuable and, 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 and the ways that shame gets used in our conversation around things that are legitimately wrong uh, and our and and things. So you talk about sort of shame not being a dead end in the gospel. Um, and what does, it, what does it mean for us to actually, uh, you know, one of the, uh, a further conversation in this is what does it mean to identify sin and when people have been sinned against, uh, when people have exploited people or, you know, misused power or whatever, um, and you know the culture is one of heaps on all this shame on people, uh, and there's no outlet for redemption or health or healing or forgiveness. You know, there's not much language around that in a healthy way. And uh, it? so I think there's I think there's a, a number of ways sort of that the conversation around shame in our culture is playing out in in the news, right? And then when everyone sees it, and everyone sees it as being how, how it's being leveraged. Uh, but I'm not sure we're totally like healthy. I, I don't think we're very healthy in our in the in the public conversation discourse. Uh, and there's not very many boundaries around um, about it or how to process it in a healthy way given that we weren't made for it, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's that's a big part of the conversation nationally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a... John Ronson wrote a book called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Uh-huh. Oh, well, that's interesting. And um, part of the dynamic that plays out, it's it's about some of these... Um, he uh, focused particular on the social media shamings yeah. that have happened. Uh, you know, like the woman who tweeted something on her way to... Uh, another country um and uh and while she was in the air it was it was a joke but it was it could have it was interpreted insensitively and and with not without merit and by the time she had landed she had lost her job because it had gone viral because right. it had gained negative publicity and i'm not judging whether that was right or wrong but the dynamic that happened was that there was no climbing out of that uh-huh. right. uh, because it would just keep cycling and more people would pile on, more people would pile on. And so, so you don't have, um, you don't have an outlet. Uh, There's not, there wasn't an outlet for, for the people in that book. It seems at times like they're, they're at a loss, even when they recognize, okay, I did something wrong. Okay. Maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. Even when they recognize that some of the consequences might've been a little bit outrageous or, or out, they weren't in proportion to what, what they did even while they still accept the consequences, they're still like, well, but but how do I move on? I can't move on from this because, because the shame is just continue Every time I try for something new, the shame just comes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes back. And I, and I think that's that's one of the byproducts of the uh, fame-shame dynamic that's playing. Uh, and it's one of the byproducts of, of living the life uh, publicly the way we're living it. Kind of,
1: that's, yeah, that's really interesting to me. It's interesting to think about um, sort of go back to like the Puritan age, right? Mm-hmm. Purit- it's sort of, it's sort of like uh, there's a there's a self righteousness based on some sort of religious sort of rubric, right? Mm-hmm. Of who's sort of the righteous people, and when it, when when sort of not I don't think that I don't think everything about sort of puritanism was always bad but there certainly were sort of aspects of it that were not that were not particularly healthy right so um so i don't want to throw that up but so there are ways where uh how basically the question is how does self-righteousness get demonstrated or expressed in publicly acceptable ways right so in the in the puritan era it was sort of there was it was it was it was acceptable publicly to be more self-righteous about your religious practice than someone else right and and, you know those sort of things and now and, and now in some ways uh the question is like uh, are you shaming the right people as part of what it means to be a self as, as part of your righteousness like right so i 'm not one of those people in fact i, sh- I like I, I said something I tweeted about how much i don 't like those people right so the question is like basically have you have you heaped shame on the people who deserve shame and that 's your badge of righteousness that 's your right, I, I, you know whatever that is in whatever way whether whatever kind of political or um sociological issue that you want to that you care about or your tribe cares about it's like have you have you appropriately responded with self-righteous indignation over sort of health evil or, or terrible the sole situations these people are right and that's, that becomes a badge of honor like I, i'm i'm virtue signaling right this idea of i signal to my tribe that i'm one of you by who i don't like or who i pile on mm-hmm. right um and certainly – so basically shame is another tool we've used to sort of set our tribal markers mm-hmm. up about like kind of what tribe we're a part of and how I signal to everyone else, hey, I'm one of you because I don't like that person either, right? Or I, I, I was disgusted about that person as well yeah. and uh, – and and not recognizing that when we participate in the, that vicious cycle of shame, which we weren't we weren't made for originally to begin with, right? So so to, to respond with to respond with even clear sin with more sin with more darkness, it, does, it does, right it doesn't bring light yeah. to the situation.
0: And and there is a role for for communicating through social media some uh, unhappiness or even righteous indignation sure. about sure. something, uh, but weaponizing shame indiscriminately. Yeah. Uh-huh uh, has, uh, it has some toxic effects. Right. And, uh, I think, I think there's a need for some recalibration in that. Uh, but which is why I think it was important for us. And I think it's important for, uh, uh gospel centered communities around the world to be able to talk about this mm. because it's, it's a train the, the, the social media is not going back in a box.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Uh,
0: the, the, the global social media community and the ability to amplify both mistakes and good things and uh, and blowback of when mistakes happen, that's not going back in a yeah. box. That's not going back in a box. Uh, so shame is out there and public shaming is out there. At this point, it's not going to stop. Uh, but but we as, a, as, a, as gospel-centered communities need to talk about uh, what shame is, how do we address it? How do we engage with it? And even how do we how do we interact with people that we don't know if we interact with them, if we need to interact with them, when there's sin or when there's something that, that requires some outrage or right. some or some indignation or when we need to communicate hurt or wrong. Right. Uh, I, I think it's important then that we, we have, but we have to start somewhere. I, I don't think at this point, I don't think we are positioned to have the conversation about how to do it on a on a on a global platform because we've not talked about how to do it on an individual mm-hmm. case or in a community environment right. enough. Now there are there are churches that are doing it, sure. communities that are doing it, but I think part of the reason why I was excited for us to do it here is because I felt we could do some good work among our community.
1: Well, and I do think you know uh, the place where that starts the question of like, okay, how do I. How do I respond rightly to injustice or something that clearly is a wrong in the world, Mm -hmm. uh, so if 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 the if the voices of shame and guilt are loud inside my head, I'm I'm going to be toxic in how I address that person, most likely, yeah, right? So so part of the part of that soul work is like, hey, let me start to deal with my own toxicity, like the own stuff I'm carrying. If I can if I can begin to have Jesus intersect with this and and, and help me know what my true name is, and help me to sort of uh, to be able to cut through the voices of guilt and shame, and begin to sort of hear the voice of the good shepherd. Um, when we can do, when we are healthier in that space, then we are better positioned. We're, we're a stronger, more rooted, healthier man or woman to be able then to speak in a righteous way—not self-righteous way, but in a righteous, faithful way, and act in a healthy articulation of. Uh, some, of a wrong that was done, and, uh, and and to address it in a way that is that is courageous, that, the way that you see Jesus do it, right? So Jesus, who's not operating out of his own deficiencies, when he addresses guilt and when he addresses wrongs that are, he sees, right? He's he's courageous, he's bold, he see, he speaks very uh, uh, stridently, you know, at points at, to the Pharisees and other things that he yeah. sees that are wrong, uh, but he's not doing that. Trying to deal with his own demons of guilt and shame in his own you know, inside his own head, he's doing that from a from a, a rooted kind of a clean slate, not a cluttered slate that's full of kind of all kinds of static in mm-hmm. his own heart.
0: Yeah, and our goal, obviously, in this is not perfect. I mean, we don't we don't we don't anticipate that people will be perfect. Sure, but we want to do some work. Yeah, we want to do some work. Um, you know, we've been talking about guilt and shame for a while now, and and for our listeners, we've not actually defined it. So let's let's make the distinction when, when we. Talk about guilt and shame. Uh, we mean uh, a, a distinction between feeling bad about something you've done versus feeling bad about who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whereas guilt might say something like uh, "I made a mistake," shame would sound like "I am a mistake." Shame appropriates it; it makes it part of one's identity, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's where it can where it can silence. That's where it can limit. That's where it can uh, lead to all sorts of toxicity.
1: Yeah. Well, I think part of what's so deceptive or challenging about that is there's a there's a way where in the biblical framework even right so we're sinners and so there's a way where that can with that, that that that's also that's a part of the biblical framework and I think uh, almost most of our most of the people who've spent any amount of time in various religious settings have been in space. Where I talked about this at some point, one of the messages recently, where kind of religion sort of trades on guilt and shame. Often in many circles, it's kind of the the, the primary thing they're they're applying and leveraging to get people to move or change or mm-hmm. stay in line. Yeah. And, and there's a there is a there's a way where um, I think I think there's a constructive, helpful way to talk about the reality that we are sinners, in a way that uh, in a way that is just piling on shame and guilt that is not biblically faithful. I don't think right. Um, And, you know, and and I think one of my most significant sort of theological sort of shifts in my life where where was growing up, not in an entirely negative way, thinking myself as a sinner, which I think is there's a there's a there's a very uh, humble, grounded way of saying that, you know, like I'm a sinner and that's not like that's just true about me. Well, yeah, that, that is true about me. But the, in some ways, the, the first thing that was true about me was 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 image bearer, which is why which is why we did Genesis one, two, and three mm-hmm. week two. Like the the fir- our first name was not Sinner. Our first name was image bearer, and sinner was sinner came after right as mm-hmm. a parasite, as as something that was unintended, uh, not a part of the original design. And uh, but it, but the, the truest thing is image bearer, and in that sort of the goal of of redemption is that restoration to that. So that true name at the end of all things in a sense. And so um, so I think part of what's so powerful about and, and and deceptive about the way that shame works is it takes a little crunch, that it actually is true. There's a, there's, a, there's an element of me that's not right yeah. and just says, that's all there is to you. Is everything that's not right, right? That's, yeah. that's, the, that's the truest thing about you in a way that, Again, to your point, it feels like a dead end. It feels like there's no way out. There's no there's no constructive, there's no recourse to a better uh to to health, healing, restoration, uh renewal, repentance, those sort of things. There's not much not much opportunity for that in the in a in a shame culture that doesn't have a strong sense of the gospel of grace intersecting that voice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the, um, the idea of image bearer, uh, was incredibly intriguing to me. It's been intriguing to me for years in part because of the idea that we were made to carry the essence of God. Um, because one of the ways in which the, the label of sinner can be harmful is when what it does is it caps us. Mm -hmm. It puts a ceiling on us. Um, versus creating this sense of um we've not lived up to who we were made to be but we there is a way to make up that gap Mm -hmm. um which is what i appreciate uh i appreciate then that when when um with jesus's death and resurrection the language that is used then is that we are called sons and daughters Mm -hmm which 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 ties back to image bearing right. oh, yeah. because children mm-hmm. are the best image mean, they carry the essence of their parents yeah. inside or the, in them, you can see their parents, you can mm-hmm. see hopefully right, and what parents aspire to in in the best cases is that their children carry the very best of them right. uh, and you know the very best of God is all of God. So so you know when Jesus calls us when we are called sons and daughters through Jesus mm-hmm. um part of what it's calling back to is it's 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 creating a direct link to the beginning to the creation and so even though there are some there's some distortions um we're not perfect we continue to uh, as as one word for sinning is we've continued to fall short of the mark there is this hope That's right there, there, there is a way in which the the name of sinner has been used as a as a non hope filled, mm-hmm. as a desolation inducing thing. And there's a way in which I, I think it should it should cause some sense of sadness, yeah. some sense of sadness. But there is a way in which, in light of the gospel, um, knowing that we're sinners actually helps us look at the hope. Right. The hope is that we don't have to remain that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so so when we're talking about names and labels, when we're talking about the things that produce shame versus the the labels that that lead us into life, like labels like son and daughter, mm-hmm. label like child, label like image bearer, labels like stewards, like blessed, are are hope filled. And I think in in the right context, being able to reflect upon yourself and say, I fell short of the mark today. I was a sinner, or today I sinned. Um, The gospel allows that to not be a a period, Mm -hmm. but rather an invitation into Mm -hmm. then grabbing to Jesus Mm -hmm. and taking on that, that new name of son and daughter of child Mm -hmm. of forgiven. Yeah, (laughs) that's, that's right. That's the best one, right? With with, with sinner, you can, you can then add to that a sinner who's been forgiven. Mm Mm-hmm. And that forgiven thing sort of wins the day over yeah. the sinner one. That's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: I mean, you, you sort of use that. You say, like That last word language is so critical, right? So crucial. You know, that, that, that that idea. I mean, at one point, you no, know, I think in the New Testament, Paul writes, "Sin and death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Jesus." Right? There's a there's a way where sin and death had the last word over everything, and this idea that sort of because of the resurrection, now Jesus has the last word over creation, not sin and mm-hmm. death anymore, right? And there's this there's this really powerful sort of shift that Paul celebrates with the resurrection uh, and it's all about who gets the last word right and uh i think that's probably maybe part of why you know one of the last words of scripture is sort of jesus declaring over all creation behold i make everything new right this this new making this again making this this again making that's also restoration of what was intended and uh, fulfillment of all that um i think that there's something powerful about saying that's true not only in the scope of cosmic history but also true in my own life right yeah. that might that um, the Jesus who declares over creation one day, who one day will declare, "I make everything new." Can can say, you know what? I'm, he's he's working his new making over me today, yeah. right now, right? Mm-hmm. And even in areas where I've fallen woefully short, uh, he's saying, you know what? Like, yes, there was sin there. Yes, we're going to expose that. Yes, we're going to deal with that. And we uh, we talked about that with Jesus re- reinstating Peter and uh, the reinstatement of Peter and instead of Peter. Denied him three times? So Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That's like, that's brutal, excruciating surgery, right? To to surface. No, we're going to deal with the fact we're not going to pretend that this didn't happen. We're not going to pretend that I'm not a sinner. We're not going to pretend that there wasn't failure. We're not going to pretend that there wasn't, Mm -hmm. like, I would, I would, Frankly, in my own life, I would rather we kind of gloss over or cover up my sin rather than actually forgive it and deal with it, yeah. right? And Jesus refuses to gloss over and sweep stuff on the rug. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to forgive this. I'm not going to excuse it. I'm not going to sweep it on the rug. I'm not going to ignore it or pretend it didn't happen. So
0: Jesus is not just modeling call-out culture. There, right, is no. right. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. It's really important to see what is he actually doing here. What is the thing he's doing? He's re- he's, he's restoring Peter, right? Yeah. And, I mean, in that moment with Peter, in a handful of weeks – Someone's going to need to stand up in front of a crowd of thousands and explain what the heck's going on with everyone speaking these different languages. Mm-hmm. And here's the deal if the voices of shame and guilt are swallowing up Peter, he doesn't stand on Pentecost Sunday. We're not here talking about this 2,000 years later. Somebody has to peel back that shame and guilt, this voice of shame and guilt, that might cow him into, some, into quiet when he needs to stand, right? Yeah. And just to remain seated when it's time to rise, right? So there's a way where um, uh, there's a way, there's a really compelling way where we see Jesus not just calling out sinners for their sin but uh, surfacing sin in order to deal with it in order to say this is, if this remains in hiding it's just going to fester and grow and suffocate you so i'm gonna i'm just gonna call you out woman at the well he does the same thing peter does the same thing he's surfacing the shame he's surfacing the brokenness in order to in, in order to, to, to prune it back right yeah. to, to, to sort of fight it back and say this is not going to be the def- this is not be your last word over you anymore right your sin your mistake your biggest mistake is not the last word over you anymore
0: yeah indeed i think it, the some of the distinction is that these are for Peter in particular. This was something that he was already ashamed of.
1: That's right, exactly.
0: Because it's something that he had said. No, he, was, he knew it. He said he, he wasn't going to deny Jesus. Jesus said, "You're going to deny me," and 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 he denies him. And and you can tell some things are changing in Peter because even though he's seen Jesus resurrected, um, uh, he's 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 sort of retreating into this um going back to fishing like like there's a temptation there there's a way in which you can read that passage and consider okay is is peter just going considering going back to being a fisherman has he felt disqualified and not only that but but what do his peers think Mm -hmm. because his peers know more than likely that he's denied him right and and uh there's a way in which the the three times can feel excessive but i wonder if part of what jesus was doing is that he was going to address each denial as a way of silencing each denial's voice, mm-hmm. not just saying it once, yeah. but saying it going for going after each one. There's this very real. I mean, it's, it's it's I think it's concrete, but I think there's also this symbolism there that there isn't a sin. There isn't a mistake. There isn't a moment that that we stumble that Jesus isn't going to address for the sake of not letting it be a voice that dominates us anymore. That's right. Uh, That's going to address every, every, every whisper, every murmur of shame. Jesus is going to address to not let it have the final word. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it's, it's really intriguing to me that Jesus doesn't, doesn't actually ask him, why did you deny me? What he asks him is, do you love me? Mm -hmm. Do you love me? Um, which is a very different invitation than do you regret what you did? That's
1: right. That's right. (laughs) Or do you feel bad enough (laughs) for having,
0: for having done what I said you were going to do that you said you weren't going to do. That conversation could have, could have sounded that way. That's right. That's great. And yet, and yet Jesus doesn't use that language. Jesus doesn't use, I think what could have been, if I, if I can speculate, if I can use my imagination, the language that maybe Peter was using for himself. Uh Like, why did I deny him? Why did I do it three times? I already knew I was, he told me I was going to do it. I said, I was going to do it. Why did I do it three times? Why did I deny him the first time? Why did I deny him the second time? Am I going to keep denying him? Uh, Jesus reframes the conversation and instead invites him to affirm a positive value about his Mm -hmm. relationship to Peter and and Peter's relationship to Jesus, which is, are we going to ground this relationship in love? Or are you going to ground our relationship in shame and the shame you feel for having let me down? Mm-hmm. And Peter gets a chance to do something different.
1: Yeah. That's a really, that's really insightful. The idea that Jesus could have asked three times a very different question. I think that's, that there's something to that. that's really powerful. Um, and, uh, and interesting to, to to indicate what Jesus's priority is for Peter, right, mm-hmm. in that moment to sort of to to essentially to essentially not just give Peter opportunity to deny his denial, right? Oh, I'm sorry, or feel bad about the denial, or, or to apologize, or to
0: rationalize, or to
1: rationalize, right, or any of those things, right? But to, simply, to 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 reground like love at the center of their relationship, which has been um it's a it's a, it's a powerful. I mean, it's interesting to think about how um, at the end of the day. Uh, Voices of uh, of love and the power of love is the thing that is the the thing that triumphs over guilt and shame, right? In in the gospel story, right? It is love that triumphs over guilt and shame, Um, not arguments, not rash, you know, and not right. Like there's not there's not not a um, Jesus doesn't Jesus doesn't go head to head with uh, the spiritual forces in some sort of grand sort of cosmic debate scene, right, or something like that. He uh, he lives on his life, and there's a way where there's a way where that demonstration of love is, is. He's continually doing that. With people he bumps up against who are, who are battling voices of shame, he continually demonstrates his love to them, and and doesn't doesn't even yeah doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't engage in a, in a back and forth, doesn't try to, to rationalize or, or or give them opportunity to sort of actually even speak to their their, their the, the shame that they're bearing. Uh, he surfaces it and kind of moves it to love rel- relatively quickly most of the time.
0: All right, so we are at the halfway mark of the series. Uh, by the time that this podcast drops, yeah. Uh, so what has, we've already started, we've already talked a little bit about it, but I want to give sort of a chance to synthesize what has stuck out to you, uh, as we've gone through this series, either in what you've, what you've preached or, or the conversations you've been having or what you've seen in people.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I love, I mean, I think I, I, I read a book at the start of the series, kind of thinking about the series, um, called not the way it's supposed to be. And it's about sin. It's, 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 it's this, it's it's this, uh, guy, this Authors take uh, Cornelius planting on on sin and 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 just the just the, thing we talked about earlier that um, sort of uh, shame and guilt they're sort of they, they're parasites the the analogy I've used at Woods a lot on Sunday mornings is sort of their kudzu that suffocates life underneath it they, they it's, a, it's a weed that is not what's supposed to be there and once it gets planted it can just destroy the whole thing and so there's a that that's been really it's been powerful for me to think about what, what's my relationship like with this weed and how do I deal with it in my own life. Uh, what's my heart for the people that I'm talking to about this? How does um, guilt and shame and fear and a life driven by these things? I think I think the my eagerness this is to uh, the thing that I'm passionate about. At this series has really brought out is a longing for better for people. Um, had somebody who was there for the very first time this past week. I clearly moved, uh, to, you know, on the verge of tears about sort of, yeah, this is, this is a really good word for me today, you know, and the, the, the ways that um, knowing our true name, uh, the way that knowing our true name isn't just theory. It makes a difference as you go to a job interview. It makes a difference as you navigate a hard situation at home or with your grown kids. The ways that relating to uh, brokenness and the pain of the world as an image bearer and as a, or relating to my own brokenness, my own mistakes in the past. And to say uh, those things aren't going to define me. Um, that's just been that's just been powerful to watch people process that and, and move in greater freedom. And the idea that that freedom uh, is intended to bless other people, right? The idea that, that that being being kind of fighting back the kudzu and being set free that that's of the sin that so easily entangles us frees us to run a race that is intended to sort of serve and bless uh, our neighbor, right? And be and be a gift of grace to people around us. So that's been. That's been uh, meaningful for me personally, and it's also been really powerful to watch uh, people I'm talking to uh, come out of that and move in, that, in those directions. That's been powerful for me. What about you? What's been sticking to you?
0: Yeah. So there's uh, the we, – we did one week, Genesis 1 through 3, and we talked about names and, um, and having conversations with people about the names that they had internalized – or even the names that they wanted to yeah. um, receive now. The 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 overarching uh, theme with, when I've had conversations with people has has been around the the names that they want to have, which I love because it means that 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 people are really buying into this idea that it's not it's not just enough to to identify what names you were given or have or have accepted that produce shame in you and and rejecting them, you've got to replace them right. with something right. better. You've got to replace them actually with something that's actually true. Right. And and to hear people uh, click and connect with that and and see how that's changing, how they think, how they think about themselves, how they think about the people around them. Has been particularly life-giving for me. Uh, it's because it's exciting. It's exciting to see people take a step forward into living life and life to the full, which mm-hmm. is which is what uh, the Good Shepherd uh, uh, came to bring, as, as we talked about in in John ten. Um, yeah, that's that's been that's been particularly significant for me, mm-hmm. and uh, and just to see people excited uh, about. About hearing about shame. <laughs> but but more because I feel they're excited about about being able to rise out of it. Mm-hmm. To finally name it, to finally identify it, to finally face it, knowing that they don't have to be afraid of it because they don't have to keep it. And then that space doesn't have to be empty. There's something else for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to see that when I'm talking with people and when I, when I engage with them uh, after Sunday morning and then in emails I get afterwards has been... Uh, has been pretty powerful. Yeah, has been pretty good.
1: As we head into the home stretch, where some things you're excited about looking forward?
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm actually excited about not shying away from the fact that sometimes the reasons we feel shame are because of things we've done. Yeah, and uh, you know, the sort of the front end of the of the series we've 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 not we've not ignored it, but we focused pretty deliberately on the external sources of shame. Mm-hmm. The voices, the names that people have given us, even the ones we've accepted. Uh, But there is an element of shame that that is a byproduct of mistakes we make, times we fail, sins we commit. And I distinguish those because not every failure is sin. Mm -hmm. uh, And not every time that we make a mistake is a sin. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we also sin. And the fact that we're actually going to talk about it without being condemning, but actually to give people the freedom to acknowledge what they know is true and what we know all know is true. It's that sometimes the reason we feel shame is because we did something. <laughs> right. We did something. But the, 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 the way forward is not to simply own that label. Uh-huh. The way forward is to own the mistake and then receive the forgiveness of Jesus. Yeah. To actually re-embrace the identity that has always been ours, the name that has been ours—that we don't, we don't forfeit it permanently. Uh, we we can still claim it. Uh, our our mistake doesn't have to be the thing that defines us. Defines us. I I'm fond of saying, and I maybe I heard this somewhere that um, we aren't, we don't have to be defined by our worst day, mm-hmm. or by our worst mistake, or even by our. Our not worst mistake, but maybe like the mistake three rungs down the ladder. We don't have to be defined by any of those sins. We mm-hmm. are defined by God. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm, I'm grateful that we're going to talk about that and that we're going to talk about the role that sorrow can play, mm-hmm. the positive role that sorrow can play in leading us to rise, which is super counterintuitive because sorrow feels like something that we want to run away from mm-hmm. as quickly as possible because it brings us down. But actually, there is a way that sorrow can lead us in a path forward to rise, and uh, so I'm super excited to um, to engage with that.
1: Yeah, that's great stuff. That's great. I'm looking forward to. Um, uh, we're talking about the the role of the role of community and speaking truth to each other. We're going to yeah. talk about that. I'm excited. I'm excited about that because I do think part part of us stepping rising up into our image bearingness and kind of being genuine bearers of God, genuine bearers of God's image to one another is that we. Uh, God speaks true words over us and true identities and true names over us, and as 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 Christians, particularly, we are privileged to be able to speak truth to each other and to remind each other what's true. You know, one of the things I pray for my kids, and I pray for them that night, is I pray that they'll marry someone who will remind them that God loves them in the days are tempted to forget it. Right? There's gonna be days when they that they'll marry someone who will speak words of truth when they when they are stuck in hard spots. Right? And there's a way where I think in a particular way. Um, There's a gift of grace that we are privileged to speak words of life to each other and give each other true names and speak true names to each other. There's enough. There's certainly plenty of of false names that we give each other, but there's also the privilege of giving each other our true names and reminding each other of our true names. Uh, And I I feel like that's part of image-bearing in community uh, with each other and the privilege of being in community together, particularly in small groups, but not just in small groups. I think that requires – there's a number of ways that can go wrong, but it does require – An openness to receiving that from each other, Mm -hmm. right? That that um, or and even I mean, I'm open enough and vulnerable enough to know I need someone to speak truth into into my life. Uh, it also requires on my on on the other end uh, some fluency around someone's true name, right? If 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 you yourself is are stuck in shame and guilt and you don't know any other way, then you can't help someone else get out of shame and guilt, right. right? And so so the sense of uh, okay, do I am I fluent enough around my true name, my true identity, son, daughter, image bearer, steward? You know, sort of, am I am I fluent enough and familiar enough with what God says about me that when I hear someone who is living out of line with that who feels stuck in some, this vicious cycle of shame and guilt instead of stuck in that darkness. Do I have words and uh, the ability to sort of step in graciously, carefully without cookie cutter formulaic cliches, but to say, Hey, there's something truer about you. And I see that you're stuck in the cycle. And I think God would have you to know that there's something truer about you. And so, um, so looking at a story where, uh, where someone comes alongside someone who has every reason to feel shame because of what he's done and speaks, uh, a beautiful word of grace and gives him a title and a name that's a to- that he doesn't deserve at all but is but is is actually more prescriptive than descriptive of who he's been right it's more who he's going to it's more who God's calling him to be who he's going to become not descriptive of what he's been in the past but that's his God's future for him is more true for him than his own than his past mistakes have been right yeah. and that's there's a, there's a way where we're invited to speak that into each other's lives which I just love uh, and uh, excited about being talk, talking about that in um, part because I think if we don't talk about that, if we just if we just spend a bunch of weeks talking about rising up individually out of guilt and shame, and don't equip each other to sort of and, and call each other to do that for each other, yep. then the series ends mm-hmm. and that the the journey ends, right? Mm-hmm. But my, my hope and prayer is in our community and in small groups and those sort of things that those conversations, as they come up, even in sideways ways mm-hmm. or small ways, we start to hear uh, people wrestling with guilt and shame over. You know, I've got a sick parent. I'm not there enough. I feel like I'm not able to do enough for them, or I feel bad about this relationship or whatever. And say, okay, is there, are there voices of guilt and shame that are actually hindering you from hearing the voice of the Good Shepherd? Yeah. And are the voices of guilt and shame that are saying things about you that aren't true? And that then you're living into those or out of those that create anxiety and fear that actually hinder you from bearing the fruit of the Spirit? You know, and uh, to be able to, to, to have those kinds of conversations. Where we're actually able to spur one another on into these, out of shame and into that is uh, that's exciting.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that as well. I think the the move from simply dealing with um, the the effects of shame individually and even how to rise out of it individually into uh, looking out into the world and seeing what what work we can do in bringing that message outside. Um, so, you know, instead of being part of a call out culture, we can, we can be a part of a movement that calls out life. Mm-hmm. You know, we, it's a different call out culture. That's, right. That's great. And uh, that I think is, is a gift that we can give. And I'm, I'm excited for what it will mean when the folks here in Chatham County, the folks here in Chatham Community Church are going out and talking to people and, and, and doing like, uh, I mean, the pastors are going to use that week is, is Acts nine and, and doing like Ananias did with Saul and saying, brother Saul, mm-hmm. that, that. That reframing of identity. When I get, I'm, I get excited when I think of of our of our parents uh, out in the playground with other parents and being able to call out life into them, call out the act, the identity that God uh, has for them. I'm excited when I think about our our small business owners uh, engaging their customers and their employees mm-hmm. with that sort yeah. of life giving and and life promising message to people. I'm excited when I think of our students and even our kids from Chatham kids being able to bring that message into their classrooms and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just, the what it could do to a community mm-hmm. when the overarching message is one of calling out life that's right. and calling out truth, true identity in people is, um, it's just, it's just exciting. Yeah. Me. That's so great.
1: Cause we're swimming in sort of a sea where like sort of guilt and shame are so useful and, mm-hmm. and, and, and familiar and tactile. Some of it's all we've known our family of mm-hmm. all our origin, religious cultures, whatever mm-hmm. context, whatever. Uh, to sort of to, to give people an alternative, yeah. To to be to to what what if you had a what if you're a manager at work and you have a slacker employee, right? You can use guilt and shame to try and motivate them. But are there words to speak? Are there life giving ways to discipline an employee? Are there yeah. even life giving ways to fire an employee? Absolutely. Right to say there's, there 's like there 's more to you than this, and uh it 's not going to be here you know there 's a boundary here yeah, yeah. Or, or we, that we can 't trust you with this or you know that, that, but but there 's more to you to this, and to be able to speak words of life even someone you 're having to let go that is that is not trading in sort of traditional typical sort of guilt and shame kind of mm-hmm. exchanges, but calling speaking words of life and and calling out yeah. that like words of life and speaking words of life into people and 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 uh, sort of pushing them in that direction as best as you can or kind of speaking them in that direction is uh, it's powerful I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's not enough to to help people know that we need to step out of being part of a stream that is heaping shame onto people. It's not enough to just tell them don't participate in That's right. this. That's right. It, it, we need they need to have something to contribute mm-hmm. that that starts to, to to change the stream. Well, isn't that? I mean, it's
1: about what it means to be an image bearer, right? Like in the beginning, God speaks and things are created. Like good things, beautiful things are created, right? And yeah. so, to be an image bearer means I speak and the beautiful things created yeah. in someone's heart, and someone's life, and someone's mind, right? I am, I am my most true version of me when I'm speaking words of life into someone else's creating mm-hmm. life in some way, shape, or form. I'm being creative, I and mean, that's not even not even just with people. I mean, being creative in general is part of what needs to be an image bearer. But with our words, how are we using our words, and we are. I think we're we are the truest version of ourselves the holy spirit version of ourselves when you know uh, John 1 picks that up right god speaks the word the word becomes flesh makes a dwelling among us right so of this idea that whenever god speaks words it's always creating life and yeah. there's a there's a way where as as image bearers we we are most true to our name or when our words are are springing up life and we are we are the most corrupt version of ourselves when when we are using words to to abuse manipulate destroy Steal, kill, and destroy like the thief does, right? Yeah. Well, that's where we're, when we are, we've been co opted into darkness's work. That's when we, that's when we're the, we're the, we're the shallowest, thinnest version of us, right? And when we are using our words to speak words of life, we are the thickest, richest, most vibrant, most alive version of who we could be, right? And there's a range of human experience and a range of human potential, right? From image bearer to that we could aspire to and ever more by, you know, by the, by, by the power of the spirit sort of maturing glory to glory, right? To, um, to a completely distorted, corrupted version of me, where there's there's, all, there's there's very little of the image bearer left, right there. And unfortunately, there are all those stories. And most people live somewhere in the middle, right? Not most people are not the worst possible version of themselves they could mm-hmm. be, but there are some people who are the worst possible yeah. version of themselves they could be, right? Yeah. Um, and in the, in the middle, most of us are kind of this big fat middle where we're sort of at you know, depending on what time of day you talk to me, how much if I have I coffee yet or not, and uh, those sort <laughs> of things, uh, right? And, and 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 am I am I surrendered to the spirit? Then you know those that all those things kind of feed yeah. into. Uh, what kind of words um, I'm giving, and how those words are or are not contributing and, and reflecting the true image bearer God made me to be.
0: Yeah. Well, Alex, before we wrap up, we we always have people who ask us for additional resources, people who want to sort of dig in more deeply into something. So, uh, how about we take a, a little bit of time to just talk about the resources, whether books or or authors, or even or even um, biblical concepts that have helped us in our understanding of shame and how to rise out of it. Yeah, that's great.
1: I mean, I think uh, we would be remiss if we did not, at least if our hat to Brene Brown, who has done a lot of work in popular culture around sort of shame, vulnerability, the power of that. Um, she herself is at least a church person and person of faith. I don't know kind of how deeply... Uh, her work go I mean her work on shame and those sort of things there's not much reflection there's not much theological or scriptural reflection so I don't know how that works out in her life it's been in some ways it's been fun to sort of learn from her she surfaces all the right issues and then and I think and I think in in a clinical way addresses them in some constructive ways uh, and I think it's been helpful to sort of to sort of study some of her approaches and then sort of approach it from more of like a spiritual formation and biblical kind of you know uh, framework so that she's been more recently helpful for me in sort of thinking some of these things. I would say in my twenties I was in a church that um uh, for nine years that was sort of that really ran off this uh, this curriculum. It was like a workbook kind of a thing called Sonship and it was just all about our true name, our true identity. It was all about identity in Christ, kind of who we really were, living in uh to being sons and daughters, children of God. And it really talked a lot about the false voices, false names Uh, even the things that are, that are good, that we are tended to over rely on, right. Are like, I'm a, I've got a great singing voice or I'm a, I'm good at, you know, I'm good at juggling or I'm a good speaker or whatever, you know, these, these things that might even be in, 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 in orbit around a larger thing could be really beautiful. But if we try to make them the main thing that they, they kind of, they, they sink us in an unhealthy way. So we talked a ton about identity and a ton about being sons and daughters. Uh, and the the sonship curriculum was based largely out of uh, uh Galatians, the book of Galatians. Paul's talking a lot about identity and what makes us uh, what, what, what makes us righteous or right, or, uh, and, uh, one, one author has talked about sort of the secular version of righteousness or is, uh, enoughness. Do I recycle enough? Do mm-hmm. I, do I care enough about the right causes? Um, so enoughness is sort of the the contemporary 21st American version of righteousness. What is, what am I enough of to, uh, to sort of feel good about myself and feel like I'm a valuable, worthwhile person. So it's sort of, it's sort of de- uh, deconstructed all the different ways we get, False names whether it's my own righteousness, my own rightness or enoughness, or these voices of shame and guilt uh, to sort of be rooted in this larger thing so i'm sure there's, I'm sure the version of that sonship curriculum that's still floating out there and, and, and really good but that was really formative for me and, and perhaps something that would be worth digging into sort of identity and christ's names n- names of uh, that, that God calls us that can be uh, redemptive and constructive so those have been a couple of things that have been formative for me and some places that might be helpful for folks to go chase after what yeah. about you.
0: Yeah, there there have been a couple. I mean, uh, Dr. Brene Brown has been crucial for me as well, partly to give language to some of the things that we've been talking about, help me think about it in different ways. And also, I'm just grateful for the fact that she's normalized it in the conversation. So she's done some heavy lifting for Absolutely. us in that sense, which I'm, I'm really grateful for. And I'm appreciative for her stepping into that and, and being willing to put herself on the line in some ways. Uh, it's, it's been really good to, to learn from her. Uh, I've, I've been particularly blessed in my, in my, in my journey in coming out of shame by concepts of sonship similar to you. Uh, I got mine from, uh, Henry Nowen, uh, Henry Nowen's book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, Mm -hmm. uh, that idea of sonship, the way he presents it there is, um, is the thing that resonated in my heart and in my soul when when I started to realize all the voices of shame that were in my life. I think the reason uh sometimes not every time sometimes it was easier for me to silence the voices of shame is because I had built a reservoir mm. of voices of sonship uh through folks like Henry now and um and then two professors uh at Alliance Theological Seminary in Nyack that I went to who are also authors so some of the material includes and one is Dr. Martin Sanders um and the other one is Dr. Rob Reamer Rob Reamer wrote a book called Soul Care which I think was was has been really good for me as I thought of not just um not just the contrast or what to turn from shame, what to turn to, but how to do it. Some very yeah. practical huh. uh-huh. tools of how to pray through things, how to involve community in that. Uh, and that's been really helpful for me. In fact, one of the quotes I often use when I'm talking about what we, how we counteract the voice of shame comes from, from Rob Reamer. I often say that the issue of our value was settled at the cross. Hmm. And that's that's a Rob Reamer quote. So So he's been really crucial. And lastly, most recently, it's been Brennan Manning. Uh, I read uh, two of Brennan Manning's books uh, this past year. One was Abba's Child and the other was The Ragamuffin Gospel. And um, uh, Brennan Manning was a person who had every every reason to live in a life uh, governed by shame.
1: Mm.
0: Every reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet was... and, And did experience shame. And yet... Uh, The way God led him out of that and the way he navigated through that and the way that led for him to have compassion on others and want to talk about the very real ways in which um, we can acknowledge that we can be broken people but don't have to be governed by shame Mm. uh, is incredibly helpful, I think. Uh, The way he's able to talk about his flaws without it ever being a shame thing Mm. is um, – is a great example of how to be able to be radically honest and vulnerable without being shamed or living in shame. So that's been super helpful.
1: You know, you mentioned uh, Henry Nowen as a, as a, as a guy who's been helpful for you and it's been great for me too. And I would say that his uh, life of the beloved is one of the easiest, lightest, shortest reads that just does a phenomenal job of sort of surfacing and dealing with some of the some of those voices in a really healthy way. So if you're maybe someone who's just exploring some things and trying to figure out where I started, wants to take a small next step in this uh, life of the beloved, is a really really short easy read that talks about what does it mean to, for beloved to be our truest name, right? What does it mean What does it mean to receive that from the Lord and then live into that in a healthy way? He does a that's a that's a really short easy uh, next step for folks maybe who are looking for a short easy next step. So just throw that out there as a good resource. I read that I read that a year ago and it was. One of those things where it's just like, ah, uh, it's like, it's like just drinking fresh water out of a, you know, uh, uh, in a, in a way that was uh, really, uh, really delightful and restorative for me.
0: Yeah, well, thanks a lot, Alex, and thank you all, listeners, for tuning in and sticking with us through this podcast. We'll have another episode dropping in a couple of weeks, so stay tuned for that. And if you like what you heard, share it with someone and uh, let us know, so we can continue to produce uh, podcasts that uh, that bless you and that help you grow, and that help you as you're on the way with Jesus.